You know, queer people like me, well, we tend to have a lot of experiences in common. It's one of the things that makes it possible to forge a community from a disparate group of people that in so many other ways are often the unlikeliest of comrades. Some of these common experiences are painful ones, you know, the kind that leave a lifelong mark on you, a stubborn stain. And we recognize that stain on each other because we have that one too. And these marks, well, they cut across all other boundaries, boundaries of class, age, education, income, culture, language, you know, boundaries that might otherwise keep us apart. It's why the two old pals propping up the bar in any gay bar are just as likely to be a barrister from Kleine and a plasterer from Dolphin's Barn as they are to be two dentists from Trim, God forbid. One of those painful experiences, one that pretty much all queer people go through, and indeed some never escape, is one that we try to make light of by giving it a harmless, almost silly-sounding name. The closet. Being in the closet isn't silly and isn't harmless. It's lonely and torturous. It's an existential crisis. You're usually landed on people who are way too young for existential crises. No one escapes the closet unmarked, but some don't survive it at all. They can't live in it, but they fear coming out of it so powerfully that they can't imagine living outside of it either. So they decide to do neither. The closet is built of shame and held together by secrets, a brutal and sometimes lethal combination, and a heavy one. Secrets and shame weigh heavily down on you, constantly never getting lighter. And you never get a rest, because that's the thing about secrets. They're patient. They will wait. You know, they wait for you to relax, because that's when you let your guard down and something slips out. Secrets and shame have all the time in the world, so they'll keep waiting. Five years, ten years, fifty years, a whole lifetime spent on edge, afraid to relax, never letting your guard down. I hated the closet too because it was turning my family into acquaintances. I found myself lying to them about tiny things and about big things, and I was keeping a fundamental part of myself hidden from them. It was getting so that they didn't know me anymore. They only knew a fake facsimile of me and keeping up that facsimile was exhausting. So I let them know me. Years later, I was diagnosed with HIV. And it was at a time when everyone was absolutely terrified of people with HIV. You know, they thought they'd catch it and die if they so much as passed you in the street. And it was a shock, you know, the diagnosis. Ten minutes after I left the doctor's office, I told two friends about it. Then I told all my other friends about it, and soon I told everyone, except my parents. I waited about a year until I had learned everything there was to know about HIV at the time before I told them, so that I could answer any and all questions they might have. Occasionally, someone will accuse me of bravery. It was brave of me to be so open about living with HIV right from the start and at that time. But they give me much more credit than I deserve. Because I wasn't being brave. I have a big mouth, so I knew I wouldn't be able to keep the secret anyway. But I was also just doing what I knew I had to do to survive. Thankfully, I hadn't spent very long in the closet, but it was long enough to know that I didn't want to go back. 
that I couldn't go back. And I didn't want to turn my family into acquaintances again. And when you've just been diagnosed with HIV in 1995, you need your family. Thank you.